Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Launch with Tech Leaders. My name is Adam Oberhausen, and I'm your host. Joining me today is my co-host and AWS community builder, Tom Kowalski. Hello. In this, oh, in this episode, we'll be discussing the rapidly evolving world of serverless technology. We've got a lot to cover today, so grab your lunch and buckle up. What's going on, Tom? Uh, not much. How are you doing? I'm good, good. You have a good week? Yes. Yes, the week is going great. Excited, excited to talk about serverless. The first, uh, first episode here. Yeah, yeah. Usually we it. have like you're a usually, heart. usually we we bring in an expert to talk, but this week uh, you're going to be our expert. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm excited. We can yeah definitely uh, fill up our time here. But yeah, I'd love to bring on experts in the uh, in the future. But yeah, for our first episode here, got a lot to talk about. And yeah, happy to jump in. Cool. Yeah, so since this is like our first talk on serverless, let's just start at the beginning. Like help help our audience understand what is serverless technology and why is it becoming so popular? How do you how do you explain it to the layperson? Yeah, the uh, you know, I guess the definition, especially now, I guess it always has been, um but especially now is kind of getting more ambiguous. Um but yeah, I could talk about how I feel about it now and you know, maybe why it is ambiguous, but yeah, serverless to me is, you know, first of all, not having to worry about servers. Um, but what differentiates it from other managed services or managed servers, I guess, is not having to think about the capacity planning. Um, the, the biggest thing there is it needs to scale to zero, right? I guess for my definition, for it to be serverless, and you know, you're not paying for that idle. Um, yeah, that's I guess my definition there, and um, and what I'm. Yeah, I've I've always thought of it. I mean, I kind of like if I just boil it down to a simple sentence, I would just say it's like it's a way to build and run applications without having to manage the underlying infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, it's it kind of goes along with the concept of you know the the build versus buy, right? Trying to get that abstraction layer level that meets your needs right solves your problem um without having to worry about you know un underlying resources right you move to the cloud because you don't want to deal with your servers um and the hardware right the hardware aspect of it and you know and aws does a really great job of of managing all of that and now this is just like another abstraction layer where you know if you can use it for your use case which we can get into i feel like can be used for almost anything um but we can talk about that later but yeah, yeah if, it, if it meets your use case you know leverage that service you know that um that provides that abstraction layer where you know you're meeting your needs but not having to worry about the underlying things right i i'm more proponent of you know buy if there's a api or another service out there leverage that first 
But if you do have to develop something, build something your own, you know, find that find that abstraction layer that you know you're not worrying about underlying things that you can focus on building, you know, providing value to your customers. And I feel that you know that that's where serverless is and and yeah, should be leveraged first, right? There's your first option if you do need to build, right? Things, yeah, yeah. You know, can it be built serverlessly? Um, just want to quickly mention some of the popular providers out there. You got uh, AWS Lambda. I believe they were first in the space. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. You've got yeah. Azure Functions, and you've got GCP Cloud Functions. So pretty much all the um, popular mainstream cloud providers have their flavor of serverless. Um, have yeah, you kind, worked with going, all three, or have you only worked with mostly with AWS Lambda? Well, kind of going back to the definition there, right? Some of the community would say that's more functions as a service, what you kind of described there, which is a subset of serverless, but that's, you know, your, the more code function side of it, or those services that you just described. In the, in the camp realm of all serverless, you have also storage, right? S3 would be considered serverless. You're not paying for the, you're paying per request. You do pay for the, the idle of storage. Everyone kind of accepts that as, okay, yeah, you do have to pay for your storage that's sitting there, but you're not paying um, for idle compute, right? And then you also have your DynamoDB. Again, these are AWS services. But yeah, back to your question. I'm, I've mostly used AWS's services. I've played around with the other ones, um, but yeah, those, they're all great, right? And, and no matter what, technology stack provider you're using um it makes sense to look at those serverless first those um functions as a service first you know see if they meet your your use case yeah uh you touched on it a little i think right out of the gate but like the term serverless in quotes you know has it morphed into something broader than its original intent as tends to happen with a lot of technology yeah, yep. Just, you know, like we just talked about DevOps um, last yeah. week right, on how that term is kind of morphed, right? Serverless has been around before AWS released Lambda back in 2000, well, I think it was 14 is when they released it. And it still wasn't really called serverless, right? I think the term really picked up when serverless framework um kind of rebranded themselves as serverless and i think that was kind of like the catalyst where more people were calling this type of technology serverless um and kind of got that that branding but yeah going back to you know the evolving name of it you know the how it changes uh recently aws started calling things serverless in their product offerings that don't really you know match that definition uh, that the community has I'm, I'm part of the uh aws community builders the serverless cohort and it's kind of a hot topic um you know during reinvent they released the uh open search and serverless and you know they threw the name on there but everybody in the community you know kind of feels that that was more it's more of a managed service, managed servers, because you do have to pick your size and you're paying for idle, um, not just for the, the storage, but the compute on those. And uh, the, the same with uh, their Aurora serverless offering. The uh, the V1 was, you know, by definition, in the community serverless, right? You weren't paying for that idle. Uh, it would go down to zero. Uh, but their version two offering, you are paying for it, but they're still calling it serverless so yes mm. it, it is kind of changing and um 
but yeah, it's morphine. Yeah, it sounds like they can use it for like marketing purposes. Yes, that is, um, that is, yeah, buzzword purposes. Fortunately, that is what's um, happening. Just like DevOps, right? Yeah. The idea of it more of a philosophy, but yes, yeah, as, as as things change, right? It's my my tool. You know, this vendor says this is DevOps, right? If you use this or or that, which is you know unfortunate, but you know, the, I guess the next name comes around or the yeah. technologies change. I think I'd want to. I want to be in the room where they discuss all the names for the AWS services because yeah. like some, some of them are like they're aligned with what they actually do, like AWS Security Hub. You like uh -huh. you know what that does, and then you get things like AWS Athena, and you're just like, well, I have no idea what that could be. Anyways, <laughs> don't want to yeah. get too off track with that, but yeah, no, I think they've got so many services. But like, I they I could see the real challenge with them. They're trying to generate buzz about their products um, while also trying to like you know define things in engineering terms that are consumable so it's a challenge yes yeah there's a lot of talk in that too in the, uh, in the community of of how they name things and they try to stick with standards but yeah some of them go out the window right when the, yeah when they try I to think... label some things as amazon services they'll say you know amazon I, they're, they're different ones i can't think of them right off the top of my head but then some of them are aws right and it's like they try to say like it's Amazon if you can use it standalone, but you put AWS prefix if it's something that you use with other AWS services. But even that is like, well, you know, not really for a lot of their their offerings. So yeah, it is a challenge. It would be fun to be a fly on the wall when they're discussing yeah. the naming. Let's move on to another uh, question I've had in mind, which is um, how does working with serverless technologies I guess we'll let's focus on like uh, you know the, the functions as a service. How does that change the your the software development lifecycle? Um, well, it it changes it a lot, right? Um, that is, it's kind of one of the the challenges to you know serverless adoption um, is that change in the the software development lifecycle, that development experience. Uh, it, it is a learning curve for some, um, just like with containers, right? It was it was a change, and it, there was a lot of tooling that had to change to make it easier to develop on, and um, you know, really improve that developer experience, which is a lot better now. And developers are used to it, but now there's a new paradigm shift, right? In that development experience with serverless, where you know, the, the shift to containers was, oh, this isn't my machine anymore. It's kind of remote, you know, where you're you're actually going to run it and, and test on. You may be developing in, you know, your IDE that's local um, or, or remote in the sense that it's to that container on your machine. Whereas now the, the shift in serverless is, yeah, you may still write the code. It's local um, in a container. But when you know you're doing that running and testing, even with your local development, you want to actually run it in the cloud um, because most of that, most of the interactions, um, it it's a lot easier to to test and a, and a better user experience once you get used to it uh, than it is to kind of emulate those things locally, right? You, the same thing with what containers were solving of it runs on my machine, you know, you're going to run into those issues if you try to develop locally uh, with with uh, serverless services, right? Trying to mock out the, the different AWS 
um, components, right? If you're hitting Dynamo or mocking out SQS, things like that, you're much better off just having it run right in the cloud. Um, I guess that kind of answered more of that developer experience change. Yeah, um, and we'll, we'll go into that a little later in the show yeah. when I want to talk about, you know, how do I get started with working in serverless and stuff. But that's, you know, it's a good segue into some of our some of our next topics. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. I think one of the things that you kind of circled around with that is it the speed, right? I mean, you should be able to develop faster. Once you get to, once you get a team that buys in to using serverless, um, your speed to deliver value to the customer should be faster, right? Just because yeah. you're, not, you're not worrying about, and yeah, we're kind of going all over the place here with advantages and, um, you know, uh, but I mean, that to me, that to me is the obvious one that it changes the, the life cycle of your application and that you shouldn't have to like spend a lot of time worrying about the infrastructure, right? You yeah. Just, you should start worrying about writing your, your business logic and delivering value to your customers as soon as possible. Yes, it's a, it's a very enabling technology to uh, to the DevOps philosophy, right? It, it allows a product, an engineering delivery team, whatever you call it, to to own their infrastructure, right? The you build it, you run it. When um, when that abstraction layer takes away a lot of the the challenges of of managing the servers, it, it makes mm -hmm. it a lot a lot easier for that single team to kind of own that solution end to end. Yeah, I want to piggyback off that and like, okay, so if I'm a DevOps guy, I know you have that triggers you. I'm a DevOps <laughs> engineer, <laughs> um, but like, how? What is the what is the implications of serverless for my job as a DevOps person? Um, yes. Well, I know you don't. I know you don't believe DevOps people, yeah. but like, you know, and how does how does serverless? What are the implications of DevOps? Uh, serverless on DevOps is my question. Sorry. Yeah, I'll I'll answer it in two ways, right? Of what maybe the most of the industry thinks of a, of a DevOps engineer, and you know what a DevOps focused uh, enablement coach, which might make more sense. Um, and, and what I would think if you have a person focused in DevOps in your organization. Um, but so yeah, going back to what maybe the industry thinks as a as a DevOps engineer, um, it's it's hard to answer because really they should be more of a, a alignment and enablement for the teams. Um, but the, the things don't change, you know, for what I guess you would say a release or automation engineer, if that's what you're thinking. Um, DevOps, it kind of changes how the, the infrastructure is deployed in some ways. You should be using infrastructure as code, um, you know, even if it wasn't serverless. So that's not too different, um, but the deployment is a little bit different. You know, it's, it's a lot faster. All in all, it doesn't too much change with the automation and release. Um, but thinking about DevOps as more alignment, enablement, you know, more uh, cultural change ambassador in terms of DevOps that I guess it doesn't change too much uh, as well, right? You know, and I think, you know, of implementing DevOps, it's having that contract between your teams, right? That higher collaboration, right? And communication. And this just makes it easier. There's a lot less of that um, communication, uh, that contract that has to happen. Um, 
Whereas, you know, DevOps helps with if you have to have F SRE teams, um, you know, managing your infrastructure and, and, and running those, you know, DevOps plays a bigger role in, in establishing that and making sure that there is the, the smoother handoff, the smoother. Um, it almost like it's almost like you're trying to say it. Um, if you if, if you adopt serverless for your organization and your DevOps practice, it by nature removes some of the silos that exist. Yeah. Yes. Because you no longer have like, oh, this guy is the only one who knows how to tweak the Kubernetes cluster. Um, it's like if we all buy in to build on top of a serverless tech stack, um, there's just there's less specialization required maybe i don't know yes that's that's where i'm trying to get at right it's yeah. just it's harder because yeah everyone has different definitions and thinking about it so it depends on your view of what you know devops is and and um but yes it it definitely is a technology that makes it easier to implement um you know devops practices and within yeah. your organization i want to hit you with one more question before we move on to kind of scoping out the specific advantages of serverless. And the question I have is, um, how do you make sure you've got good observability in debugging capabilities when you're working with serverless? I've, I've read that to challenge, like the, the, um, the monitoring and debugging is not as elegant as it is with traditional based development, uh, but maybe it's come longer along yeah. further than I thought. So why don't you just tell me like, Dispel the rumor or tell me I'm right. Yeah, it has come a long way. In the beginning, yes, it was difficult. Um, you know, it's it's more of a black box. You don't care about as much of the observability as you did before. Um, you know, when, when you were looking at the servers, right, and the CPUs running high and, and memory usage, it's just different. Right, uh, but the tools have come a, a long way, and the services like AWS has has made it easier to have that um, observability and and to kind of see a little bit more under the hood, making it easier for the tools and vendors to to uh, implement um, better observability. But yeah, in the beginning, um, there was a you know a lack of tools. You couldn't use the same ones that you were using to uh, to monitor, you know, your more traditional um architectures or or servers or servers or containers, containers. you just yep. have an agent running right so these are, yeah yeah you can't agent, imagine there's not like an agent running on your lambda on your function as a service right so no no that's the thing you cannot put an agent on there so it was really is a it was a game changer right and the uh, observability vendors you know had to uh you know make some make some changes right is there any um observability or application performance monitoring tools that you really like for serverless they they've all gotten a lot better um in the beginning right i had ones that you know i was following very closely and you know as they were you know making changes but a lot of the big ones have have caught up um yeah just to, to not name names or pick out certain ones but yeah the, the bigger more traditional vendors have, have finally kind of gotten there um but the even the niche players when when it first came out that jumped in that, that saw there was a you know a, a space in the market you know that that was missing for for better observability they they're still kind of I wouldn't say leaps and bounds now ahead of the more traditional monitoring um, observability vendors um, but they 
they they've they've been in the game longer, right? Some of them are acquired. The smaller players were acquired by the the bigger companies to to help improve their offering. So and, and that helps as well. So at this point, you know, it's it's probably better to stick with the vendor that you have, right? If they have a serverless um, monitoring offering, um, but if not, yeah, there's a there's a plethora of of good ones out there. Okay. Okay. All right. Well. Let's uh, transition over to the specific advantages of serverless. I'm sure we've covered a lot of them already in our talk, but like, I just want to lay it out for the listeners. And uh, you know, I'll start with one which we've touched on, which is just infrastructure management. Right? With serverless, you don't have to worry about the underlying infrastructure. Right? It's all managed by the cloud provider. Yes, and and not so much the and not just the infrastructure. Right? With containers. You didn't have to worry about the infrastructure as much, but it's now or the operating system, but it's it's now even further with serverless, right? Mm-hmm. Even with containers, you had to worry about patching your mm-hmm. containers and um, you know making sure that the the operating system right layer, uh, if you will, of your container was was up to date. Whereas you, you still have security implications with serverless, but you're not doing patching, right? When the um, what was it like the heart heart bleed? I think was the name of it. Um, yeah. And that yeah virus came out. Uh, you know, there was a bunch of engineers scrambling in all these companies to uh, kind of solve that. Um, whereas you know if you're running serverless, you know we we had a team of 200 specialized AWS engineers solving that and patching it uh, on those instances that we ran with uh, with serverless technologies with lambda so um you know we weren't up in the middle of the night trying to to solve that right um so yeah that's kind of that advantage i kind of went down the road of the security side of it but yeah the, the infrastructure okay well. um help me understand the next advantage which is scales to zero that's a concept where i, I think people you you've said it a lot yeah but i don't know if people understand it like what does that what does that mean scales to zero and it, yeah like, and why is that an advantage yeah a lot of a lot of people you know they they think the economical advantage is more you know you're only paying you're paying for your request so it allows it to really um you, you have auto scaling with other services but it's not exactly there so People think the real economical advantage of serverless is it's exactly you know what your traffic, what your traffic is, which is nice uh, in most certain circumstances. But I feel like the real economical advantage with serverless is the scaling to zero, and the reason for that is it allows you to have um, two things. One is on the development side. You can have near exact replicas of production or exact replicas of production with your development environments. You can have one for each team, each developer, each feature branch, each commit, even exact replicas of production, and you're not paying for that. Um, and if you don't know in software development, that's a huge benefit, right? Having those environments as, as near production-like as possible. So um, that that is the big one. And then also in production, the scaling to zero, it allows you to have services that are very um, 
focused, right? And and containing that workload to to you know all the infrastructure to a niche service that may not be used that often. So a, a lot of times you may have a service that just runs, you know, once a um, you know, every five minutes or so. But it's a lot of overhead to have that service on its own infrastructure. So you end up putting that container with a cluster of a bunch of other things. Now it's mixed together, um, but it really wasn't kind of part of that workload, but you're just putting it there because, you know, you don't want to pay for that idle time. This allows you to have that stronger decoupling of those workloads. And I can put this over here and yeah, it only runs every five minutes and I'm not worrying about the, you know, four and a half minutes that it's not running, um, but it allows me to decouple the infrastructure and have it completely standalone um, versus having to mash it up with other services that, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like uh, you're kind of hinting at, it, it is truly a microservice, a low cost microservice, right? Because if it's not, if you're not invoking that function, you're not going to be paying for it. Um, and you're yeah. allowed to, you can have it just sitting there decoupled. You don't need to like bundle it up on some other, cluster or server it just it's just there on its own and just gets spun up when it's called yep yep that's exactly it was hard it's hard for some companies and you know the challenges in the day two and microservices and kind of you know setting those boundaries right uh, mm -hmm. of the different services it was kind of hard because it didn't make economical sense to to make it completely on its own because you got to have all this massive infrastructure just for this one service that might not get called as much where now with you know the serverless economical model it makes it uh much more enabling to uh yeah. to implement microservice patterns well I mean, you're clearly drinking the the serverless Kool Aid, but is there any? Can you even can you even fathom a disadvantage of using serverless? I'm gonna quiz you here. You know, I I haven't come across one. Um, what about the cold start? Boom, drop the mic. So okay, we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, there there can be a cold start, um, but usually if you need instant requests coming back to your um to your front end right or whatever interface it's usually a sign that you have a bad architecture on your front end right you really should be caching preloading as much as possible even if you have servers that respond a lot quicker um and more consistently it's you don't control what's in between your uh where that's hosted right and where their front end is so i try to say you know even before serverless put a four second uh you know time um you know uh buffer on all of your calls when you're developing a front end uh and making sure that it is snappy even with that because you can't control it i know yeah. that's kind of thinking of it the other way right like oh that's a that's a, a band-aid or, or whatever um yeah. but so, sounds so, tacky yeah if you're no if you're thinking about it you want to develop in an event-driven architecture so right. serverless yeah the the lambda functions if you're calling that it's usually to do you know a mutation or something that doesn't need to come back right away that says you know, and, and and display something to the user. Uh, you can wire up directly to Dynamo, 
for instance, and not have to worry about cold starts if you're just doing reads, which you should be doing. You shouldn't be going through a Lambda function if you're doing a read, or you should be caching that information. So in an event-driven architecture, you don't really care too much, right? There, you, you shouldn't be making the user wait for the confirmation that that interaction happened, right? It's, it usually leads to a bad pattern. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the one side of it. What? All right, all right. Well, yeah. how about uh, you know, you've got limited control of over the underlying infrastructure with serverless. So like, I think, and I think this could be a reason that some organizations make a case to not adopt serverless, right? Because they feel like you need to have that control of all the knobs. Um, but that's that's a common, you know, I think uh, detractor's point of view of serverless is that you just don't have, con like with other AWS services or other, you know, if you try to use Amplify or some other services or Elastic Beanstalk, you know, there's only so much you can do to tweak it before you kind of hit the limits of the service. Do you yeah. think that's valid with server with with serverless stuff or no, that... not necessarily because it, it, if you're doing something new, there really isn't a reason. If you're taking an old practice, an old architecture, and then you're trying to make it serverless, where yeah, you, it was like a really long running um, instance, or yeah, you had to have you know some weird thing installed to 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 do whatever um it's usually if, if you're building something new you usually don't need to have that right you should need to take a step back and think you know how how can i do this serverlessly and there usually isn't a a hindrance if you re-architect you know how you approach that solution um serverlessly but if you're bringing over the practices that you had with containers long-running servers yeah it, it might not fit in the, in the serverless model and yeah you're going to have to make some changes but solving the problem um yeah i I've, I've seen it hit every use case and and the other one too is is the real time right you can have uh let, let's say you're doing like a um a game or a, a voice solution where you serverless might not work especially like lambda right but aws offers serverless solutions for that, you're usually not going to, let's say you're doing like a chat, uh, a video chat. You know, AWS offers serverless solutions that you can wire up, you know, peer-to-peer -peer chat. Um, so that, that's still even not a, you know, a reason I would say that serverless is, is not an option for you to, okay, uh, okay. to use. Yeah. Well, I got you. I got you beat this time. Okay. Uh, I've got an app that's consistent, high traffic, high volume. Yeah. And, uh, you know, serverless um, is going to cost me more because of the, based on the volume of my application. Yeah, then you got me beat there. But that Winner. volume, that volume has to I just be killed serverless. very, very high. And, you know, less than 1.1% of companies in the world are going to have that type of traffic. But that I could have that, that that idea. You could, but you shouldn't go, you know, you should start serverless. And yeah. if you have that problem, that's awesome. <laughs> okay, um good stuff. I want to transition over to some specific use cases. We've touched on them. Um you you've you seem to think serverless can um 
solve almost any use case. But like, I just want to provide the listeners with like, some, what are some specific use cases that you can build serverless applications on? I've got a whole list here. You want to hear them? Yeah. Web and mobile applications. Boom. Right. Yeah. Internet of Things. Great, great use case. Yeah. Um, so you know, we could probably do a show on IoT stuff, but you know, smart smart devices in your home, like right, those those aren't making high volume calls, and like they just in the cold starts aren't going to impact you usually. Right there, that's a good example of how to deal with cold starts. Um, we've talked a lot about event driven architectures. Yeah. Great, great use case. Um, backend services. Uh, data processing. Chatbot, voice recognition. Yep. Image and object recognition recognition, machine learning. I'm I'm struggling to find something that it doesn't solve. Uh, what about a yeah. game? Could you do build could you develop like a like a, a a first person shooter on serverless? Is there limitations? Like I don't understand where what is a use case that wouldn't work? I've heard like long standing batch processing, um high super high volume, you know, like we just talked about. Um, but is there is there a use case where it's just not a good fit? Oh, with the, with the gaming, right? Where you're having um, th- that. It depends on the infrastructure of it, right? And what the, the game is doing. Like I said, there's offerings for the peer-to-peer, right? So with the game, kind of the the way to think about it is if you're having that high interaction back and forth between two clients, they should be connecting directly, right? Um, AWS offers the solutions to do like a you know stun turn um, tunneling, right, to enable that that peer to peer connection uh, serverlessly, and then you kind of treat the backend as the authoritative figure, right? So maybe you know you're playing a game, and so and it's back and forth peer to peer, but so that somebody's not cheating, you're also sending it to the backend to validate. Like, okay, yeah, the, the, an actual human can do this and they're not just placing this character here or there, you know, randomly and, and going outside of the rules, right? Like you're still using that backend to validate it. Um, but if it needs that high interact, direct, direct, you know, peer-to-peer interaction, you want to keep it, that um, that peer-to-peer connectivity. I'm not in the gaming industry as much and, uh, and, and how that's changed, but I know... You know, in in the past, yeah, you could have it go to a server, and you have that long-standing connection, and you have a server. You know, you're picking the servers that are close, you know, in proximity to the the two users or the groups of users. Um, right. But yeah, that architecture that I described—that's how I would do it if I was doing the game right. Like. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Interesting. Um. Okay. So there's our use cases. Um. I. Did want to touch on, you know, if you're just getting started with serverless, like what are your pro tips? Like how do you, you know, how do you learn serverless? Where do you begin? Seems like a lot. What What's the learning curve like, number one? Is the learning curve steep? And then just, you know, how, what's, what's some great ways to kind of get your feet wet with serverless? Yeah, I don't think it's that steep. Um, I'd say the, the great way to get your feet wet is just automating some some back-end things that you're doing, either personal or within your organization. Um, you know, starting there, 
it, you know, it's, it's kind of where I started, you know, doing a lot of the backend services. You don't want to get crazy with it, you know, just get your feet wet there. But then, it, you know, as soon as you're used to it, then you're going to want to make sure that you're using, you know, infrastructure as code, making sure there's tests around it. Um, I recommend serverless framework right now. I think there's a lot of um, frameworks that are getting better. You know, Amazon has their offerings. and But I would still say serverless framework is the best right now. Um, and that's a great place to start if you, you know, just Google it and look at the tutorials of how to get started. Uh, it's really easy. Um, so yeah, I would start there automating some, some backend, um, tests, but as soon as you get your feet wet, then you, you want to treat them as real applications, because if you have a bunch of one-off, you know, uh, Lambda functions running, you can really run into some, you know, tech debt nightmare. So you want to make sure it's version controlled and you have, you know version in a repo. Yeah, yeah. in a repo. Um yeah, test around it and everything. Uh the ACD pipeline, which is you know is really easy to do. A lot of solutions out there, you know, you you can just um you know fork a repo that already has that, right? And yeah, you just make a, a few changes to fit your use case and away you go. Yeah, I recently um developed a serverless Discord bot. Um kind of my first like end to end application that I built on serverless. I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, and like you said, I did, wasn't really familiar with a lot of it. Um, and it just, I started by like going through um, some of the, the workshops on uh, AWS to kind of, you know, your hello world apps and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, did some research on Stack Overflow to see how you can, how you could do it. Um, ended up developing it with uh AWS uh, Cloud Development Kit for the infrastructure as code. Yep. Um, had it all d- use the CDK pipelines to automate the build process and everything. It was like super, super easy. And we definitely need to do a talk on CDK. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was the development experience for me was probably one of the most enjoyable I, I've had in my career, um, yeah. to be honest. It that, was just so. And like you said, like I'm just pushing the my my development functions to the cloud, and so they're I'm just testing them as if they're they're it's an exact replica of production. Uh, the cold start issue was a non-issue with Discord. You know, you have to respond to a request in three seconds. So even on a cold start, like it was just it's not an issue. The things the thing spins up so fast. Yeah. Um, that it wasn't even I didn't even have to like account for it in my development. Right, it just worked. So I think they've optimized the cold start stuff. Um, and I really, I, I thought it was, um, there's just tons of material out there, you know, YouTube, blog. Yeah. Uh, I really that, like Medium, medium.com had some great tutorials. Um, and that leads us into like, you know, who are the the thought leaders and like, who are the people that, you know, if you want to really understand and learn more about what's going on in the serverless space, serverless community, who do you, who do you follow and yeah. what are they doing? So that going back to the bot though, I recommend that's a great place for a lot of people to start. You know, if you're using Slack, Discord, whatever, there's some type of automation that you can do in there, right? Make your own little, um, make your own little bot to, to kind of help you out. So yeah, that that is a great place to start if anybody wants to get their feet wet. Um, but yeah, back to, the industry leaders who to follow, um, get your tips. So if you're you're starting off, you know it's yeah good to get your feet wet. You can kind of do it on your own and learn. But once you want to get 
real, start doing real applications um, in production, the my, my tip um, recommendation is to go through the courses that uh, Yang Gui, uh, Y-A-N and last name C-U-I, he does great work. He's the best in the uh, in the business. In the follow, biz. Yeah, follow uh, him on Twitter and you know get all your pro tips and serverless. That's yeah, that's who I I consider myself an expert in the space. But yeah, I always look to his stuff on you know how I can be improving and and solving the different challenges that that I have taken. Does he um, offer like uh, courses or something yeah, like that? Yep, he offers courses. I've taken most of them. He's actually doing one now on testing in in serverless and event-driven architectures, which, you know, e even if you're, you know, doing it the way that I said and running it in the cloud, your actual tests, there's still a lot of challenges, especially around just event-driven architectures in general, right? There may be timeouts and 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 backoffs and queues and things like that and those are those are difficult to test for and, and not very many um not very many people have experienced and yeah so this is a great course that he's putting together i he you can start it now he hasn't finished it so you can start the course while he's going through it um i highly recommend it this course awesome yeah, uh to get ready for the show i, I did research a couple other people in the space you got uh tim wagner uh, yeah. General manager of AWS Lambda. Um, he's been with AWS since the start of Lambda and a big advocate. Uh, posts a lot of interesting stuff on social yeah. media. He's got his own company now. He's not so much in the, the service AWS big vendor space. Uh, it's like a serverless offering, right? That kind of you know involves the the blockchain and is kind of more uh, enterprise-y focused. It's, it's a really cool uh, intersection um, that he's doing. But yeah. That's a a great one. Yeah. To follow. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Daly. Um, yes. Serverless cloud native architect. He wrote the book, author of uh, Serverless Design Patterns and Best Practices, which I am to understand is a good book for uh, people who like to to reference have reference material. Yeah, I would say um, he's, he's the the next one to to follow right after after Jan. Uh, both of them have great podcasts that you can listen to, um, and and Jeremy he's they actually just he's was working at Serverless Framework and they just spun off a new offering that it's you know it runs on top of AWS but it's kind of it uh, like a layer above it that makes it just even easier to run and deploy your serverless applications. Um, you know, we, we talked about, yeah, you can, you know, get a uh, fork or repo and, you know, get going to play into AWS, but the, the solutions and their um, architecture, the way that they're doing it is, is even faster. It's kind of mind blowing how fast you can get a, you know, production ready um, application sp you know, spun up and going. So it's called Amped. Uh, check it out. And with the T A M P T is the name. So yeah, very exciting stuff that he's doing. All right. Well, uh, this has been a good talk, Tom. Gotta say. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm excited. I could talk about it all day. Um, quick recap: Serverless technology offers several benefits over traditional server-based architecture. Um. Serverless technology is well suited for a variety of use cases that we touched on, and uh, has many benefits: scaling, uh, the pricing model, the speed of development, 
um, the flexibility. Um, I think we touched on most of it. So, yeah, any any highlights or takeaways you want the, the audience to be aware of before we sign off here, Tom? Uh, just, you know, I recommend you now jumping in if you haven't tried it, uh, if you're, you know, skeptic. Make a make a bot, make a Discord Slack bot, um, and I feel like it'll it'll change your perspective and yeah, open up a, a lot of opportunities. Awesome. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to today's episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. I hope you found the conversation enjoyable. Um, we'd love to have you join our conversation next week, where we're going to be continuing our series on product management and uh, talking about how to set good goals and make data-driven decisions. Uh, we're going to have our featured expert guests join us again in more interactive conversations, so please tune in. And... Uh, if always, if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to join us on the Discord server, the Great Lakes Tech Leaders. And uh, yeah, lunch is over. So let's get back to work. All right.